Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying again, for the old order of things has passed away. The bride has long been a metaphor for God's people. It begins with the relationship between God and Israel. It extends to the relationship between Christ and the church. And here we find it where it's between Christ and the new Jerusalem. It is God's covenant relationship with his people as a metaphorical marriage. In Hebrew tradition, a bride was betrothed to a bridegroom. It's kind of like our engagement, only it was a lot more serious. Because once the bride was betrothed, she was essentially married. And um, the, the, only, uh, the only exception to that was physical. They, they could not consummate the relationship, and they did not live together. But in every other sense, they were bound and bonded together. And when the time for the actual wedding came around, the bridegroom would actually leave for a while. And during this time, while he was absent, the bride would meet with all the women of the community and they would teach her all the things that she needed to know about being a wife and running a household. They'd give her beauty treatments and teach her how to dress, how to apply makeup. And she would keep herself veiled from that day until her wedding day as a signal to everyone in the community that she was spoken for and that she's waiting for her bridegroom to return. While he was gone, the groom would set about constructing a room, a room that they could live in, but specifically a room for their wedding night, a honeymoon room, as it were. It would be a chamber, typically an addition or a room within his father's house. And so Jesus says in John 14 to his disciples, he says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you that I have, uh, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. With these words, Jesus invokes the role of the bridegroom in preparing a place. He takes this ancient metaphor of this marriage between God and his people. And knowing that he is physically leaving his disciples, his followers, his church for a time, he wants to reassure them that he is only leaving so that he can prepare a place for them. He uses the language of the bridegroom to assure them that his absence is temporary, his absence has a purpose, and that he longs to return. And it's not until Revelation that we learn that the holy city is our prepared place. This symbol of our union with God 
our eternal covenant with God is our rooms in our Father's house. And the city descends from heaven like a bride dressed for her groom. And all the ornate descriptions that we read about the city of God are not only describing our place, but describing our wedding attire. In chapter 21, verses 5 through 7, says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So all things have been made new at the end of Revelation, not just Jerusalem, but the heaven and the earth and the bride herself, the church, us, the people of God. And the time of waiting will have ended, and with it, the time of weeping, mourning, pain, and death. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansed by the washing with water through the word, and to present to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. This is what we celebrate here today, that Christ gave himself up for us to make us holy and blameless. Though we were not pure, we were not particularly beautiful. We were not desirable. But through the redemption, through the ongoing sanctification of our Lord, we will be all of those things in the day of the Lord. And Christ will present himself his radiant bride. What is impure in us will be made pure. What is plain about us will be made beautiful. And the church will be radiant like an unimaginable treasure because of the value placed upon us by the love and the sacrifice of the Savior. And so Revelation 21, verse 9, reads this. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, is shown with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. From 1 Corinthians chapter 11, for... I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The inspiration for Agape Sunday is in a tradition called the Love Feast, in which the communion of the church was celebrated uh, over the course of a community meal. It commemorates, of course, the Last Supper of Christ, but sometimes we forget that the Last Supper was a Passover Seder. It commemorated the Exodus story. The purpose of the Seder is to tell the story of God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And at one point in the retelling, some unleavened bread is hidden away. And then there are four cups of wine during the course of the Seder, each of them with a different name. And it is after the supper, according to Paul, that this bread and this cup are presented. I'm going to invite you right now to uh, open that wine bottle and prepare for the Lord. It's after the supper that Jesus takes this, this, this broken piece of unleavened bread and he raises it up before his disciples. Basically, Jesus gave them a hidden manna to eat as his body. Early in our study of Revelation, Jesus promised this hidden manna to those who overcome. And then Jesus raises the cup of redemption for them to drink as his blood. Because now his is the lamb's blood. His blood is spread on the doorpost, which is the cross, our doorway to new life. And finally, Jesus announced he would not share this meal again with them until the full realization of the kingdom. Not until he returns. Not until we are reunited. Not until the opening celebratory feast of the new kingdom. So why does he instruct us during his absence to keep this ritual? Because our communion is the rehearsal dinner for the wedding feast of the Lamb. We keep this feast in anticipation of the bridegroom's return. Let's bless the bread the way that it would have been blessed in that original ceremony. Baruch ata Adonai Elhenu melech ha'olom ha'ometzi lechem min charetz. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth the bread from the earth. Let us share the bread. Baruch ata Adonai Elohenu Malak ha'olom bare pari hagafim. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us the fruit of the vine. Revelation chapter 22, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, from the flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves are the of the tree are for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will no more be night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Today is the last day of Sukkot. It's not the uh, most famous of the biblical festivals, so you might not have noticed it. But today is the last day of Sukkot, the festival of tabernacles, a festival in which temporary shelters are built and the people live commemorating the times that God provided for them, protected them as they traveled through the wilderness. And then remember that everything that we enjoy in this life is only temporary and we're waiting for something permanent. At the last day of the festival, there is a water pouring ceremony where in ancient Israel, they would have gathered water in jugs and poured it over the altar on the temple grounds. The purpose of this was to seek God's blessing, that rain would come at the proper time. We've all seen rain come too much at the wrong time. We've seen too little at the right time. Uh, their prayer was that the right amount of rain would come at the right time so that their uh, harvest could flourish. It's on this day in the ceremony, as, as the Israelites are praying for rain and pouring water on the altar, that Jesus stood up and announced, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me and drink. And rivers of living water will flow from within them. This is the imagery of Revelation. That the spring of life will flow like a river from the throne. Now we have only ever known life as a limited commodity. And so we greedily snatch up all of it that we can. Everything that we think is life only often to find that we have missed all the things that actually mattered. But we have tried to thrive on a trickle, to sustain ourselves on just a small spring. Understand that the spring of life will flow as a river from the throne of God. It will be like trying to hold back the Mississippi. It will be like trying to swim upstream against the Missouri. It will be like trying to drink the Merrimack as it bubbles up out of the ground. The spring of life will overwhelm us. We have never known life like this. And the tree of life, that single tree of life, from the Garden of Eden, becomes an orchard lining a street that is 1,400 miles long. That lone tree in Eden, representing God's blessing of life unending, will yield fruit in every season. There will never be a shortage. There will always be enough. We wait. We celebrate. We commemorate and we anticipate 
the day when everything will be perfected. We sincerely hope that you have been blessed being here this morning. Uh, we celebrate this every week, but it's nice to do something that's different and remind ourselves how important this is, what a glorious blessing it is to have our Lord and Savior, to have a path cleared for us, and to have this great future to look forward to to celebrate. 